What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Off the Bench just after Christmas edition. Maddie, how was your Christmas? What did you do? What was your holiday season like? Oh, it was lovely. I got to uh, play couch potatoes. I hopped around because I didn't have power for a minute, but we're back. We have lights. Um, Santa brought light and it was actually really good. We had a lot of sporting events this holiday season, which made it so much more fun. It was less family drama, more sports drama, which everybody's about. Yeah. I mean, you got NFL football surrounding and on Christmas day. It was awesome. I actually spent my Christmas night at an NBA game. We went to the Nuggets and the Suns game, which was just lit beyond belief. I don't know if you guys have caught this, but uh, Aaron Gordon basically murdered a man at the end of the game. They, They called it a charge at first, and then they went to review and said, Nope, he just dunked that man into oblivion, and it was a blocking foul, and he got the free throw. Game went to OT. Nuggets beat the Suns. I had a great time. Well worth the money for that. I mean, Christmas Day game doesn't get better, especially when your team wins. So had and a blast. you guys had to travel a bunch for Thanksgiving, so I'm sure you were glad to just, yeah. like, be able to stay home and kick it. Yeah, it was, it was nice to be able to hang out here, you know, just around this area and uh, spend Christmas where we live. So it was nice. The day before the game, we went to this place called Camp Christmas. That was kind of a little bit of nightmare fuel. It was a little little wild. Uh, it was a bunch of displays, and some of them were, like, kind of horrifying. I don't know if somebody was inebriated when designing this Christmas. Like, some of them were super normal. So, like, candy canes and, you know, cool Christmas-filled houses and displays. But some of them were frightening. Um, so, you know, Camp Christmas, I think it's Lakewood, Colorado. If any of you ever get a chance, be sure to go, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But is Russ we, there as an entertainment? Russ was not there. Russ. That's a little scary. I don't know where Russ is going to be this time next year. Um, I think I know where he's going to be because of his Albatross contract. I assume he's Mm going to be popped right here in Denver still. But that brings us as a very smooth transition to the biggest news of the day coming out of my homeland of Denver, Colorado. Nathaniel Hackett is finally out of our hair. He is gone. He is no longer a Denver Bronco. Now, Maddie. I don't know if you saw this in the show sheet. This was something that shocked me when I first found it. Nathaniel Hackett is, I believe, only the third coach in NFL history to be fired before the end of his first season. So we've seen coaches, we've seen coach hirings go wrong, you know, after one season and they'll can guys pretty quick. Very rare that you don't finish that first season. The last time we saw this was Urban Meyer. That was under different circumstances. The last time before that was 1978 when we had Pete McCulley get fired from the 49ers after a one and eight start. This is sort of unprecedented. I know what my answer is to this, but Maddie, is this the most disastrous head coaching hire of all time? I want to say no, just because the quarterback play is equally as bad. So it's kind of just like, well, we paid this all-star quarterback a ton of money. We can't get rid of him. We're locked into this contract. So who who takes the blame? Nathaniel Hackett kind of gets it. I don't know where he would have been if we had a little bit better quarterback play, but I don't think that it's the most disastrous. I mean, one of the coaches you just named literally got fired because he kicked a player after multiple scandals throughout the season. So I don't know. How do you feel about that? My only argument, and I can see it going either way, Urban Meyer was clearly the most unfit to have any sort of position of leadership in the NFL. However, the fact that he and Nathaniel Hackett ultimately arrived at the same destination and Hackett arrived there strictly because of his lack of on-field performance, that almost is worse to me. Like Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer was, you know, 
rubbing up on a girl at a club when he wasn't supposed to be, who was not his wife. Urban Meyer kicked a player, as you mentioned. Urban Meyer brought in Tim Tebow in camp Tim for no particular reason. Like Tight end. Urban Meyer had all of these issues. Or, oh, let's not forget Urban Meyer calling his own coaching staff losers and saying that he had a better staff at Bowling Green. Urban Meyer had all these issues that were not related to stepping on the field and playing the game. And yet Nathaniel Hackett finds himself in the same place Urban did because he just couldn't get a roster full, a roster with decent amount of talent to put together any sort of competitive anything. Ever. I have a question so, for you. Yeah. Do you think there's a coach out there who is brave enough to step in and stomach Russ's cooking next season? So, I mean, they're going to find somebody, right? This isn't just going to yeah. be a, a vacant head coaching spot through next year where they're just like, I don't know, we'll just do a fan vote for every play or something like that, a little fan <laughs> control football league. I think what's going to happen is they're going to end up with a coach, and this is, you could say, is for most hirings where it's like a, a coordinator trying to make the jump, much like Hackett did. Somebody who doesn't have another option is probably going to be the Broncos next head coach, right? Somebody who's maybe a coordinator, but doesn't have any other offers lined up. Maybe a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who's been passed up mm-hmm. so many times by all these other teams that ultimately are choosing other guys. They may be like, all right, Eric, I mean, nobody else of quality really wants this job. Like, come on in just because I, I keep seeing these Sean Payton rumors. It's not happening guys. Sean I agree. Payton, if Sean Payton comes back to coaching, He's going to have so many better options than this. Like even just going back to the Saints is a better option than this. The heavily rumored team of the Chargers is obviously the ideal option for him. The Rams, if Sean McVay were to retire, is an option. Going to the Broncos and willingly stepping into this dumpster fire of a quarterback situation is not happening for an experienced, legitimately good head coach like Sean Payton unless they throw him like like $50 million a year. Already paying Russ that, so it's going to be kind of hard. Yeah. so, yeah, I think it's going to be some kind of coordinator that just doesn't have many other options. Do you, do you have any coaching ideas, suggestions for, for who's going to steer this sinking ship next year? Honestly, I don't. I think that we're going to have to see how the season plays out because we already have a couple of other teams that are in need of head coaches. We know that the Colts are in search for one as well as the Panthers. And so it's kind of – I think that – I think right now the Denver Broncos are on the bottom of the barrel of where you would want to end up as a head coach. So we'll kind of see what happens there. Yeah. I mean, you look at these other potential head coaching openings, right? And it's much more of a blank slate for these teams. Like Mm -hmm. the Panthers, you can kind of come in and build whatever you want from the ground up. The Colts are not going to have Matt Ryan next year. You've got uh, even the Cardinals rumored to probably be getting rid of Cliff Kingsbury after this disaster of a season. Kyler Murray, say what you want about him, has plenty to build off of if you can you know, build the right team around him. Mm-hmm. Going in with Russell Wilson, who I watched throw an interception to Bobby Wagner, where Bobby Wagner could have had actual cement blocks on his feet and not moved mm-hmm. from where he was. That's not the kind of guy you want to come in and coach if you are a head coach looking for either his first job or a new job as the lead man. So, Well, even just like the locker room, I mean, it was embarrassing to sit and watch the Broncos fighting all sidelines, the whole game on the sidelines, they were fighting. I mean, I watched, I watched Russell get sacked multiple times and then his offensive line didn't even turn around to help him up. You know that things are bad when the big guys, the sweet, big fluffies aren't even going to turn around and help you get to your feet. I mean, it's just bad all the way around. Patrick Starr was talking shit on Russell Wilson. (laughs) 
I know. He's a little, what do you say? Like, oh, he that wasn't what he wanted to cook or something like yeah. that. After the terrible rust play. Yeah. When you get roasted by Patrick Starr, I think your team has no luck, no choice but to make some sort of rash decision, which I think is what prompted the the Hackett fire. Patrick Starr got Nathaniel Hackett fired the day after Christmas. That, I mean, that's the thing. I that mean, should be the story. I, I agree. Patrick, maybe Patrick Starr's politicking for the new head coaching job with the Denver Broncos. It couldn't be any worse. It literally couldn't be any worse. So, worse. yeah, th- this game, this game was a new low for the Broncos. It's not surprising this happened after this. Just after showing, you know, a decent amount of fight against a good Chiefs team, you get blown out by the Baker Mayfield tanking Rams. It's mm-hmm. not a good look. Hackett's out of here. The next move is just what happens with Russell Wilson. I tweeted this the other day that I genuinely have no idea because this is almost an unprecedented level of being screwed with any sort of contract. Like you owe this man so much money that your only out is if he like just retired. And that's not going to happen by by all accounts. Like that's the only, that's the only way out is if this contract comes off the books, but you know, the other solutions that we kind of thumbed through throughout the season as the Broncos were struggling, you're like, Oh, you can get out of these contracts by trading the guy and then just eating part of the contract nobody's eating any of this contract for this guy. Like he's owed. It's like the cap hit just keeps going up and up. It gets up to like 40 million a year, 50 million a year. Nobody's going to eat even a third of that to get the type of play that we've seen out of him the, the past, most of the season, but especially in this game against the Rams. So yeah, the, the Broncos are kind of screwed. Some candidates I'm looking at. I mean, there's D'Amico Ryan's potentially looking for a, a head coaching gig. And he's a guy that is very, you know, coming off of Shanahan's staff, um, very defensive focus, very run game focus. Those are two things that the Broncos are equipped to emphasize this upcoming year. I just think if you're looking for somebody to be a Russell Wilson quarterback whisperer, you're probably not going to find it. So maybe focus on these other aspects of the game that the Broncos are already pretty good at and just mitigate the responsibility of a Russell Wilson. And who better to mitigate the responsibility of a quarterback than somebody coming out of a Kyle Shanahan system. So D'Amico Ryan's, interesting option maybe he gets a better job like a Colts or a Panthers he's a very hot candidate right now um and then you've got I believe it's pronounced Ajiro Aviro he actually declined to be the Broncos uh interim head coach which I thought was interesting uh he's their current defensive coordinator I figured he'd be an option for head coach next year but if if he's declining to even be the interim I don't know so we'll see where the Broncos end up it's going to be one of the most intriguing storylines of the offseason just what happens with the coach and russell wilson how they work together if they will work together and we'll see where we can go from there we open the show with that because obviously it's the most pressing news of the day but the other sort of overarching thing we are getting very close to the playoffs so i think it's worth before getting into these games individually just a quick overarching look at the playoff picture and what spots are available so in the afc actually let's start here in both the AFC and the NFC, there are only two wild card spots available in each conference still. We've got in the AFC, either the Bengals or the Ravens are going to take one of those wild card spots. In the NFC, either the Eagles or the Cowboys are going to take one of those wild card spots. Naturally, that means there's only two left. If, as of, as of the time we are recording this, the Chargers and Colts have not played, we expect, we hope the Chargers will win this game. If they do, the AFC actually only has one wild card spot left. The Chargers would clinch a spot by virtue of several different tiebreakers they have over teams like the Patriots, the Jets, and the Steelers. So we're getting down to crunch time here. Um, Not a ton of playoff spots available, but a ton of teams in the running here. As I was typing out these records just to keep note of them, there are so many teams that are seven and eight. I was like, this record is just like the theme of the NFL right now as we head into week 17. You've got in the hunt in the AFC – the Dolphins at eight and seven, who have lost four in a row. We'll get to them in a little bit. The Patriots are seven and eight. Jets are seven and eight. Steelers are seven and eight. Jaguars are seven and eight. Titans are seven and eight. Um, Chargers are eight and six for right now. 
Raiders are six and nine, technically not eliminated from the playoffs, I guess, but would take a complete miracle. I think they need all of those seven win teams to lose out. That's not going to happen. NFC, you've got the uh, in the wild card hunt. You've got the Giants at eight, six and one. The Commanders at seven, seven and one. Packers seven and eight. Lions seven and eight. Seahawks seven and eight. We are in for an interesting finish here down the stretch. Mm -hmm. I think some teams could squeak into the playoffs that we weren't considering even last week, a couple weeks ago, even yesterday, based on some of the performances we've seen. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be a fun one down the stretch. So I just wanted to talk, touch on that overall, tell you guys how many teams are still in contention. And then we can kind of talk about which teams we actually expect to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, biggest game of the week, though, in my opinion, we talked about it beforehand, that it would be the biggest and it lived up to expectations. The Cowboys and the Eagles. Cowboys took down the Eagles 40 to 34, a game where the Eagles did not have Jalen Hurts. Gardner Minshew performed Fairly well. Uh, Maddie, did you have any immediate takeaways from this game? How did you feel about the Cowboys coming away from this? And were you impressed by them? Or was it just, you know, the difference in this game was the Eagles not having Jalen Hurts? I think the big difference was the Eagles not having Jalen Hurts. I mean, Minshew didn't play terrible. For some reason, Quez Watkins was the go-to towards the end. And I feel like, in my personal opinion, I think that both of those interceptions were his fault. I think that he could have gotten a little bit more physical and pulled the ball down. Um, For me, the biggest takeaway is that Lane Johnson injury and how they're going to be able to bounce back from that because that is a major loss. That takes away a lot of their run game that they did. They use Everybody just kind of knows you run behind Lane Johnson because he can block all the way down the field. I mean, you're secondary, no problem, and he may even throw out a pancake right above the goal line as you've been chasing him the whole time. So that is a big loss, as we know he's out for the regular season. Um, I was pretty impressed by the defense just because they got home. They had six sacks, but what I don't understand is how you can't beat a team when you're getting home and you're just knocking it out. They weren't able to shut down that defense. So they were pretty good with um, stopping the run, but I do think that there's a little bit more improvement on the defensive side of the ball, and then they're going to have to game plan hard on how they're going to be able to fill Lane Johnson's role because that's going to be a big issue as especially without Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because so Jalen Hurts is, you know, politicking to play um, this next week. He obviously is a very competitive guy. He's going to want to play every week. Mm-hmm. Um, makes me wonder a little bit. I saw a tweet with the speculation that are the Eagles going to risk throwing Jalen Hurts out there without his starting right tackle now for the next two weeks? Like unless Jalen Hurts is 100 percent healthy, are they going to put him out there knowing that he's more at risk than he would have been this week? Um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting question to me. I think that Jalen Hurts is too competitive and he's probably going to go out there. And there's also the fact that they have not clinched the one seed in the NFC yet. They and clinching, clinching that one seed now with this Lane Johnson injury is going to be that much more key. If you can get him an extra week of rest, not put yourself at risk of being upset in the first round by whoever you have to play. Um, that'd be huge for them. So if they can mm-hmm. you know, buy another week for Lane Johnson, I think they want to do that. Even if it requires, you know, maybe a little bit of risk for Jalen Hurts. Hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully he's fully healthy and this doesn't even come into play at all. But a lot of things for the Eagles to think about as we go. Uh, But yeah, I think the difference here was absolutely Jalen being out of the game. Look, Gardner Minshew turned the ball over three times. Jalen Hurts has five turnovers all season. I think that they lost by six points. I think that's the clear difference. Uh, But credit to the Cowboys. I mean, they did what they had to do. They won the game. You can't really fault them for doing anything but that. One guy I do want to give a lot of credit to, though, guy I kind of made a joke about last week, T.Y. Hilton. So he didn't play a lot, 16% of snaps. He was only targeted one time. But, man, that one target, a 52-yard catch on third and 30, led to the C.D. Lamb touchdown that tied the game at 34. 
clearly he's here for something. He's got a purpose here. I mean, this was exactly what you picture when you signed T.Y. Hill and is running a streak down one side of the field, making a big play. I don't think anybody would have predicted that it would be a, a third and 30 massive play against a division rival. But, hey, I, maybe they knew something we didn't know. And T.Y. actually said after the game, I love this quote, I can still play. If you don't think I can play, then that's on you. I don't have to be fast. I can be slow. I can still get open, but I'm still fast. So he's confidence. Like, he's like, listen, I may not be the fastest all the time, but I don't even need to be fast, but I'm still fast. Just, just <laughs> more clear. I want to make sure you guys know I'm still fast. So no, T.Y. with a, a good performance there. I do think this will be one of those, you know, player being on a team that we look back in like 10 years and we're like, oh, that happened. But for now, He's making his he's making his presence known, so I got to give him credit. The one target that he had made the absolute most of it, so that was impressive. I also have to eat a little bit of crow because I talked about how the Cowboys needed to step it up on third down, and that's what they came out and did. I mean, Dak just kind of took control. The play calling was better on third down, and you could tell that they really focused their efforts on that situational football. So I also have to eat a little bit of crow because I was like, there's no way the Cowboys are going to come out and beat the Eagles and – Cowboys can't do anything on third down. They can't finish. Well, I ate my words. So, yeah. Ultimately, maybe we we underestimated the impact that not having Jalen Hurts would have. Look, it's, it sounds silly to be like, well, obviously, not having the MVP is going to be a big deal. But this Eagles system is designed to you know succeed regardless of having one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Like, if you have at least a league average sort of backup, you think they still give themselves a chance, and with the rest of the team performing this well you still think they might even be favored in this game on the road. But ultimately, they fell to the Cowboys, and this division has gotten at least a little bit more interesting here as we draw the season to a close. Um, Still in this division, we have the New York Giants fighting for a wild card spot, but they fell to the Minnesota Vikings, who pulled their Minnesota Magic again. I can't stand this team. I'm just going to be honest. I cannot stand that they keep winning every game by one possession. And at this point, I'm rooting for full chaos. I want the Minnesota Vikings to go and win the Super Bowl, and I hope that every game from this point on is also by one possession. I hope it's by three points. I hope every game's by one point because they are frustrating me. I don't know. I want every week so bad to be able to come on this show and brag and be like, I told you so. They're not that good. And yet, ah, maddeningly, they just pull these games out every single time. It's frustrating. I don't know what to do. The funny thing is, is they go out and they're not that good for a majority part of the games. Like if you're actually watching the game and you're not just paying attention to stats, there's sometimes where I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And then out of nowhere, there's a massive play and everything just gets wiped out. Like Jefferson does shiny Jefferson things and nobody talks mm-hmm. about how bad that they were the three snaps before. Um, it's, it's just absolutely wild. I personally feel like Kirk Cousins has lucky girl syndrome. I really do. I don't know if you pay attention to TikTok and all of that good stuff. So lucky girl syndrome is like this persona that you take over on yourself. And you basically just say to yourself, I'm the luckiest person in the world. And that you're supposed to attract good things. Both of his interceptions were overturned. Both of the interceptions were overturned. Lucky, lucky, lucky. And he walks around. (laughs) That's perfect. Why do you have that what are the odds? Yeah, he walks around like he's like the NFL's it guy. I mean, rocking chains that he should not be rocking. He has no swag. He's so non-swaggy that it's swaggy just because we're like, well, 
you look ridiculous, but you have so much confidence, but we have to respect it. And I just kind of feel like that just embodies what the Vikings are. They're, they're not that great, but they walk around like they are the luckiest team in the NFL and it's worked for them so far. I feel bad. And, and I think part of the reason I, I'm so frustrated by these Vikings is because they make me feel stupid every time I come on this show. I'm like, I keep denying that you're good because my eyes are telling me that you're not. And yet every time I have to come on this show after a Vikings win and talk them down because I feel like that's what's the right thing to do. I feel like it's like Schrodinger's Vikings. As soon as I admit that they're good, they're going to crumble. Like I'm not admitting they're good. And if they have to get to the Super Bowl and win it for me to admit they're good, fine. But I'm not admitting it before then. I can't do it. I'm sorry, Vikings fans. I know this probably – I'm sure you're convinced I hate your team and this is the most personal thing ever. I'm a Patriots fan. I literally have no affiliation to your franchise. It's just what my eyes are telling me. I hope for your sake your team proves me wrong, but so far they haven't. I will Uh, say Daniel Jones looked good this weekend. Yeah, I mean, they I feel like he looked okay. Yeah, he has his moments where it's like, you know, is he going to be the guy they stick with in New York? And I mean, right now, I don't know what else they would do at the quarterback position that's going to be a clear upgrade over Daniel Jones. So Get he has these weapons. moments. Yeah, exactly. He has these moments, and uh, yeah, he didn't look bad. Uh, but some notes from this game TJ Hawkinson, career high 13 catches for 109 yards and two touchdowns, clearly doing what they traded for him to do. So that was good to see. Justin Jefferson just continues to be a robot. So he's now set the Vikings single season receiving record with 1,756 yards passing Randy Moss. For those keeping track, there are still two more games left in the season. And he hit the 100 yard mark for the 24th time in his career. That is the most ever through a player's first four seasons. Again, for those keeping track at home, this is Justin Jefferson's third season. So that is how much he's blowing some of these records out of the water. The guy's a beast. He's the one piece of the Vikings that I can say every single week, I am sure. Yeah, you're good. I know that much. I know that much about the Vikings. Justin Jefferson's good. So some peace of mind with these purple irritants over here in Minnesota. Um, Purple irritants. So I kind of I organized the show in a way that we're just going to kind of talk about the top teams in the NFC and then go from there. So the one other top team in the NFC that we have not touched on yet is the 49ers. They bodied the commanders a little bit here, 37 to 20. And my big takeaway from this game, you know, I feel like with the 49ers, other than tracking their odds of winning the Super Bowl and how true of a contender they are. Everybody's got their eyes on Brock Purdy, right? Is he legit? What's going to happen with their quarterback situation after this? And I have decided that I think Brock Purdy can be Kyle Shanahan's get-out-of-jail-free card with Trey Lance. Now, I don't know how much truth there is to these rumors, and I don't know that we'll ever know, but leading up to the draft, there was all this talk that Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. And even after the draft, Kyle Shanahan admitted that he was between Mac Jones and Trey Lance. Mac Jones is a guy that shares a lot of traits with Jimmy G and even with a Brock Purdy. They're not super high upside players necessarily, but they're guys that are game managers that you can groom into being potentially elite game managers. And I think it's interesting now that Brock Purdy is sort of fitting that mold and he's got Kyle Shanahan possibly out of a PR nightmare, which would be giving up on Trey Lance, who you traded so many first-round picks to get. Because now he can go and say, if, let's say Purdy keeps playing like this and you know they go into next year and they want to go with him. Now he can say, hey, we didn't expect to have this seventh-round rookie come out and look this good. We can't go away from him now. Like We think it's better for Trey Lance to go somewhere else. That's the way it's trending right now. If Brock Purdy keeps playing this well, 
and looks like, you know, Jimmy G part two with maybe a little more swag to him, they're going to stick with him, I think. And it's going to get Kyle Shanahan out of a quarterback that I don't necessarily know he wanted to begin with. There's all the rumors of the front office wanted Trey. Kyle preferred Mac. Ultimately, they went with Trey. Brock Purdy could be the answer. He could be the way out. Maddie, how do you interpret this quarterback situation now? Man, I think it's tough just because they spent the money on Trey Lance. And if if you've had that issue with the front office, you're going to have it again. I, It's hard just because we haven't seen anything from Lance, right? So I think probably what it's going to turn into is a QB competition. But I think that you might be right. I think for sure Jimmy G's gone, and I think maybe they – try to decide what happens between the two of these between Brock and Trey Lance. But I think right now you have to go with Brock. He's executing well. He's developing. Um, one thing that was, it stood out to me is the game has never looked too fast for Brock. When we sit and we watch Zach Wilson, for instance, the game's way too fast for him. And then you look at Trey Lance had that same, that same almost like, um, self-doubt or questioning he just, yeah yeah that same kind of look that where he kind of freezes in moments and it wasn't enough to stand out but I truly feel like Brock Purdy is a lot more comfortable in the league than what Trey Lance was yeah I think we all had we're kind of salivating over Trey Lance's ability and what Kyle Shanahan could do with him and mm-hmm. we maybe never realized that that's just not the kind of quarterback that Shanahan wants like and will excel with I still don't want to sell Trey Lance too short because you're right. We haven't seen him. We haven't really seen what Shanahan would have been able to do with him. But we've seen what Shanahan can do with these just pocket passer, mobile when you need to be um, game manager quarterbacks. And he's had immense success with them. So I feel like, you know, again, if Purdy keeps playing like this, he's going to be the guy next year. And I don't know what that means for Trey Lance, but I can't imagine Shanahan's too upset about it. Um, he may just He may have ended up with – through ridiculous means, the type of quarterback that he wanted to have to begin with. And Brock Purdy could could give him that. That's Kyle Shanahan's Christmas gift from Brock Purdy, the quarterback he always wanted. And Trey Lance may be, uh, I don't know, a Carolina Panther, an Indianapolis Colt, a New York Jet. Oh, you think that they'll move on completely? You think they'll trade him? I don't think, I don't think you can put him on the bench. I, I just – I don't think this – you can do the Jordan Love with Trey Lance. I don't think you mm. can get away with it. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean – if you do the quarterback competition, obviously that makes trading them a little harder because your window's a lot shorter. You'd have to go through a couple of preseason games and then you have like a week or two before the season starts to get rid of them. And at that point, is he really going to go somewhere, learn the playbook, become a starter for a team like the Panthers? I don't know. I just think uh, Purdy's asserting himself right now. And if you mm-hmm. keep getting games like this, he's going to be the guy next year. I just don't know how they can go away from him. So 49ers are going to be one of the most fascinating teams to follow in the playoffs, not just for what they end up doing, but for what their quarterback situation could look like down the stretch. Another interesting storyline out of the NFC playoff picture, the team that we have been hyping up and have been so impressed with for about two months now, the Detroit Lions fell to the Panthers and fell hard. The Panthers rolled this team and just asserted their will with the ground game. So Mm -hmm. Deonta Foreman finished with 165 rushing yards. Chuba Hubbard finished with 125 rushing yards. Those are both career highs. You allowed two different running backs who have been in the league for a couple of years now to have career highs on you in the same day. Carolina had 364 yards at halftime, a franchise record for yards in a first half. This Lions defense had been playing motivated, had been playing well for the past few weeks. Now kind of a big regression to the mean. What do you make of this? Do you think they just didn't come to play in this one or – I don't want to say the last two months have been a fluke because that feels like the wrong answer here, Mm -hmm. but uh, what do you make of this 
odd result, in my opinion. I mean, they've been going on a stint, so we kind of know once you win, 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 eventually there's going to have to be some type of fall off. I just didn't expect it to be this bad. Did no one tell that Lions defensive front seven that they had a football game? Because they none of them showed up to play, and they're supposed to be elite and ready to catch it. I mean, Sam Darnold even had a couple of design runs that killed them. So that's what was crazy to me. I just – I don't know what to make of the Lions. Hopefully they bounce back from that, but – I was super disappointed in that defensive front seven. Yeah, I, I wonder if it was just a case of running into the wrong kind of team at this point in the year that the Lions, they overlooked them. I mean, they're on this big win streak. They've won a bunch of games. Um, and then they run into the Panthers, who are one of the few teams in the league that has reason to play even harder than the Lions are. The Panthers are not out of playoff contention. Um, they can very well win this division. They actually control their own destiny. If the Panthers just win out, they are – going to win the NFC South because they have the Bucks coming up. Um, and then I believe the Saints in the final week of the season. So the Panthers are in it to win it right now. And the Lions, I think, maybe got a little complacent. They, you know, have come out and played hard against these really good teams and maybe overlooked the Panthers. And you had, even after the game, both Deonta Foreman and Chuba Hubbard saying, it felt like the Lions didn't want to tackle them. And, you know, it was a little, it was a little cold. We even had some complaints about the, uh, the, the field itself. Jared Goff saying he felt that it was below NFL standards. And mm-hmm. I guess some Panthers players have even said the same in the past. So that's not just him being salty, I don't think. I think there's some valid criticism there. But, look, you're, both teams are playing on the same field. So that's not, really, that's not really a full excuse to just get run over to the tune of 300-plus rushing yards over the course of this game. Um, <laughs> I, I think ultimately it was just a blip on the radar for the Lions. But when your record is what it is, you can't really afford those blips. Like no. you need to be taking every game seriously. If you really want to make this playoff push and be this dangerous team that I think most of America thought you were becoming. Such a valid point because that's, you've had your blips. You had the whole first half of the season and now you have to win out. I agree. Yeah. So they, they've made it tough on themselves. This, this battle of the big cats did not go in favor of the, the motor city kitties. Heard them called that for the first time this weekend. Really, I've never really... heard them called the Motor City Kitties. Motor City Kitties. I don't know. I think it was it was Scott Hansen. Scott Hansen. I imagine he probably didn't coin the phrase because he didn't make it sound like he did. But yeah, Motor City Kitties for the Lions. We we love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, one of the more surprising results out of the NFL this week. I think we'll see what these two teams have in store over the next two weeks, and if either one or both of them can make the playoffs. Uh, moving over though to the AFC, some of the top dogs over there. Honestly. Little less interesting for the top dogs over here. You had the Bills and the Chiefs who they just won. They took care of business. They did what they're supposed to do at this point in the season. The Bills defeated the Bears 35 to 13. Uh the 35-13, the Chiefs defeated the Seahawks 24 to 10. Just want to also note that ridiculous Patrick Mahomes touchdown where he just kind of put his wrist down to keep himself afloat long enough to reach the ball into the pylon. Just who is this guy? He's just an alien. I'm I don't know what to even make of him anymore. But the two best teams um, keeping pace, not letting either one get the edge for the number one overall seed, and we'll see what happens with them uh, going forward. But with the Seahawks, they've really fallen off, and I've been a little surprised by that. I thought, you know, with how well Geno has played, um, that surprised me. But, Maddie, what do you think this does for Geno's comeback player of the year odds? That's what I wanted to know, just because, I mean, it was a rough game. I – I feel like it kind of takes him out just because everybody's been saying he's kind of a poser anyways, because what did he actually come back from? Well, now he's playing into what he came back from. So I think for him to be able to win it, he was going to have to play lights out and just come look like a, almost like an MVP type player the whole season. Now I kind of feel like 
you have Saquon who's still tearing things up, which I kind of feel like goes over Gino. I kind of think this knocked him down a lot. Yeah, I feel like they have to, with how much they've been sputtering, they have to at least end up in the playoffs for Gino to get mm-hmm. this sort of consideration. Because that was the whole thing, right? Is he was going to take this team that looked destined for a top five draft pick and turn them into a playoff contender, it looked like. It, it looked inevitable for a while with how well yeah. they were playing. And now it's, it's no longer as inevitable. And I think you're right. Saquon, especially if the Giants make the playoffs, is going to have a much better case for comeback player of the year. And even Christian McCaffrey, who's played this season for two different teams, is – up there in every rushing statistic, um, you know, those two guys I think are going to have much better chance to win that award if Gino and the Seahawks keep sputtering the way that they have. So we'll have to see I mean, what the rest of the season holds for them. And I I also feel like Gino's next couple games are going to be tough just because we lost right tackle Abe Lucas. I doubt he's going to be able to be back for the regular season. It's questionable right now, but it set a thigh injury. And mm-hmm. if he does come back, he's not going to be as mobile. And he already wasn't super mobile. You have a stone foresight who's coming in to replace him and uh that man is not mobile just one of the most um i would say uncoordinated offensive linemen that we have in the league not the guy that you want to trust um but for me the big turning point was kenneth walker just went crazy and they still couldn't finish they couldn't score Hmm. so that i think has to do with how they're executing things and i think at this point gino's Gino's productivity is only going to go down just because they can't even finish with the run. What are we doing? Yeah, it's uh, a tough to see Gino level off here a little bit. I mean, I still think he's their guy probably going into next year, but oh, yeah. it does take us, take us back to reality a bit with the Seahawks giving us closer to what we expected coming into the year, but still way above those expectations. I'll uh, we'll see if they can bounce back to the semi elite status that they honestly had for a few weeks there. Um, yeah. One of the top dogs in the AFC though, that did have an interesting game is the team that had to deal with my mighty fighting New England Patriots. Is that so what we're Cincinnati- calling them? Listen, let me have this. The Cincinnati Bengals squeaked by, squeaked by the Patriots. I turned this game off for a little bit because I was so frustrated. I was like, I can't watch this Matt Patricia offense anymore. I can't watch our defense just get cooked by Burrow and T. Higgins. and Your punter drops the ball. Of all people, yeah, it hurt me. And then the Patriots made this game interesting out of absolutely nowhere. So the Bengals almost choking this game away, I think, is going to add some question marks to, you know, are they on that elite tier with the Bills and the Chiefs when coming into this week, there were people thinking that they were better than both of those teams because of how they've been playing lately. Uh, So I think maybe this brought the Bengals down to reality a little bit. But one thing just on the Patriots side of things that I thought was insane and very much blew my mind after the fact the Patriots control their own playoff destiny right now I don't know how that happened but all the Patriots have to do is win out that is a tall ask however because they're facing the Dolphins and the Bills the next two weeks I was just fascinated that the Patriots don't need to rely on any other results to get into the playoffs despite just how bad this team has been playing and Matt Patricia poisoning the water in New England. So thought it was interesting. Patriots control their destiny. And uh, look, hope is not dead. It's not dead. That's all I'm saying. I do think that you have to almost cut what you said and say how bad the offense has been playing because the defense is shown out. I mean, and I have to say Marcus Jones, I did not know what type of player he was until this season. I did not expect anything from that. That pick six this game, I mean, it's just each game he's showing up, showing out, and the hustle that kid has is unbelievable. 
Yeah, Marcus Jones, I believe the first player since Deion Sanders with a pick six, a punt return touchdown, and a receiving touchdown in the same season. And it just gets me wondering, like, is this, are we going to see more players get used by used like this? Because we've seen in the past a guy like Darius Slay politicking to be used more as a receiver. Um, you know, you wonder, you've got these defensive backs who are so athletic, just as athletic as the receivers that they have to cover, just generally with worse hands. That's why they're on that side of the ball. But it's like, why not get them more involved on the offense if they're going to be able to play like this? Especially Marcus Jones isn't asked to make crazy catches when he plays offense. He's involved right. in these screen passes where it's just, hey, you know, hopefully the blocking breaks right on this and you could just zoom your way for 40 yards, which is honestly what happens most of the time. So I'm curious if this is going to set a trend because we haven't seen it since Dion, where defensive backs are going to maybe mix in on offense a little more. You don't want to exhaust these guys. I think it helps that Marcus Jones isn't necessarily a full-time player on defense. Um, but I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to see if it starts a trend. I have a question for you while you're on that. If, yeah. if this does become a more consistent um, game plan for – we're just going to use Marcus Jones as an example. Do you think he has grounds – to when it comes time to renegotiate his contract where they do what Debo does and says like, Hey, you use me how you want, but you're going to pay me extra incentives each time you do. Yeah, probably. I mean, naturally you're putting a player at more injury risk, right? When you Mm -hmm. just use them more and use them beyond what is reasonable for that one position that you're listed at. So I think that's a possibility. Um, Really asking for extra money and leveraging that is the only way to get this to work because we've seen, you know, tight ends who get franchise tagged try to get franchise tagged as receivers and it never goes in their favor, which I, I find silly. I feel like sometimes it should. There, there are tight ends Travis out Kelsey, there. Mark Andrews. Yeah. There's tight and even like Mike Gesicki in the past has he played like exclusively as a receiver last year. So yeah. it's crazy to me that they can't get classified as receivers when that's literally what they're playing. It's just because some old guy in the front office put down a different position on a piece of paper that distinguishes what you get paid. But that's so no, true. I think I think uh, going the Debo route is definitely a possibility if Marcus keeps getting used like this. But for now, I'm just enjoying this this versatility. that Because this is the only thing I can hang on to this year, right? Other than how well the defense is playing overall, Matt Judon and Josh, Josh Uche playing so well. Um, just the versatility of Marcus Jones and watching him play and this novelty that you, you don't see defensive players play offense really ever anymore. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. I hope it continues and – look, maybe we do have the next Dion on our hands, or maybe the NFL is just going to catch on and be like, hey, a lot of defensive players can do this. We're just not giving them the opportunity to. And if yeah. the Patriots are working for them, might as well mix it in there, at least as a decoy. I mean, now every time Marcus Jones is on the field, the defense is thinking the ball's going to him because he plays so few yeah. snaps. It's like the ones he's in on, he's going to be involved in. At least that's how the defense is going to perceive it because that has been the case for most of the year so far. Um, but yeah, Marcus Jones is a super fun player. One other thing I want to mention for the Bengals is the Lael Collins ACL and CL tear. That's going to be a huge loss for the Bengals who are kind of getting hot at the end of the season, I guess, towards the end of the season. That's going to be something to watch because that's a major loss for this offensive line. Yeah, that was a tough one to see. I knew something was wrong pretty immediately when you saw him go down and and like three Patriots players around and were signaling to the sideline immediately, like, come over here, come over here. We need help. So Mm -hmm. obviously they heard you know, something go wrong. Lyle Collins. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't great to see. Um, That's definitely a huge, huge hit for their offensive line. So we'll see how much that comes into play once they get to these, uh, these higher stakes games in the playoffs. Cause that's a big one for sure. Um, Also in the AFC, the dolphins. So mentioned earlier, the dolphins have lost four games in a row uh, with the fourth one now being this game against the Packers. They lost 26 to 20 Tua 
had his worst game of the season by far. Like this, this was this was last year too, coming back out to play. Three interceptions, uh, no other game remotely close to that this season. What do we make of this sort of, I guess, one game regression for Tua? Is this is it concerning that this is a trend that'll start to happen? Will we see more of this from Tua? Because I mean, this man collapsed, and then this team is is kind of collapsing at the wrong time. I agree. Um, what's wild is the first half, Tua played really well, especially that mm-hmm. big play to Waddle. Um, and the last three possessions of his, the game that he had were all interceptions. At that point, it's it's just kind of like, what happened? Sorry, I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Um, the Packers did change up their defensive game plan a little bit, which was kind of shocking to me because I just expected that soft zone from them the entire game, and they showed us something a little bit different. So I don't know if that was Tua's mindset of, it went against something that he wasn't expecting. I don't know if something happened with him, but no, the Dolphins are kind of falling apart at the worst possible time. Yeah. And I mean, they, you know, the fact that this team is in legitimate risk of not making the playoffs is just such a, a stark contrast from what we had two months ago or so when I, I remember RG3 was calling him potentially the worst or the best team in the league, the Miami Dolphins. That's how well they were playing with this newfangled offense under uh, Mike McDaniel. And now you got a team that could fall out of the playoffs, like very realistically. So it's tough for the Dolphins. Um, I think Tua, this is a blip on the radar for Tua. Um, I don't think this is a sign of things to come. I don't think he's just completely regressing to what he used to be. That That's just a massive overreaction. But, but I think this is a reminder of what can happen with Tua sometimes. I think Tua maybe has gone a little too far in the other direction of being a little overrated now just because of the receivers that he has at his disposal of Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. We talked about it in a previous episode that, you know, it's no coincidence that Tua's ascension has come when you add two of the best receivers in football and a coach that knows what he's doing and just a scheme that's friendly to the quarterback. Um, This is a quarterback that when left to his own devices – it may struggle and he's not, you know, he's not a top five quarterback. I don't think he's ever going to be a top five quarterback. He's a guy that's always going to hover around 10 to 12, 13, 14 ish in the NFL overall, but can hold down an offense that gives him the weapons to succeed. Like he's, he's good enough to do that. It's Jimmy G again. It's, it's just Jimmy. You got a guy off the Shanahan coaching tree and he's got left-handed Jimmy G as his quarterback. I feel like that's, that's what we have here. So Tua is a good quarterback He's not a great quarterback, and I think he reminded us of that this week. He's still good enough that this Dolphins team, assuming they can make the playoffs, can make noise in the playoffs. They have too many weapons to pretend like they can't do that. Uh, but, you know, it, it just goes to show what their limitations might be in certain situations. We um, also have to give credit to the Packers for being aggressive as hell on fourth down. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the Packers are a team that seem to be realizing that they still have a playoff chance, right? And now they're trying to play hard and play the right way. Going to be a little tough. I'm not sure who they have this upcoming week, but I know Christian Watson is questionable. He missed a good chunk of that game going out with an injury. Um, so, you know, they're going to. Vikings. Oh, okay. So they've got the Vikings this week. And At then, home. yeah. And then the next week, they've got the Lions. All right. So it's all divisional for the Packers from this point forward. Um, yeah, going to be tough without Christian Watson if he ends up not being out there because it's the one receiver that's ascended to be to look like anything close to a number one guy for Aaron Rodgers. And I feel like if he doesn't have that to lean on um, against a tough Vikings team and a tough mm-hmm. Lions team, it might be might be wraps for the Packers. But look, they're still in it. Uh, they played yeah. tough football against the Dolphins, and uh, you know they're doing what they can. Uh, sticking with the AFC now, this is sort of the 
I can't even call this the playoff bubble because the Jaguars actually are favored to make the playoffs now. So the Jaguars took down the Jets. Um, 77% chance of making the playoffs now uh, per ESPN's 538, which is a shock because as of a few weeks ago, we were earmarking this this division for the Titans just because – not even because we believed in the Titans that much, but because there was no other threat here. And then the Jags come out winning a ton of games in a row <laughs> and on their path in doing it uh, ended Zach Wilson's career in New York. So – Two kind of ways to look at this game. Um, you have the Jaguars' perspective of, man, this could be a legitimate playoff team. And then you have the Jets of Zach Wilson can go bye-bye. I think it's ironic that it comes at the hands of the one quarterback that was selected ahead of him in the draft. So, I don't know. I feel bad for Zach. At the same time, I'm glad we're getting more Mike White. But, Maddie, where do you think this leaves the Jets now? Um, what do you see for Zach Wilson in the future, and what do you see for the Jets the rest of this season? I mean, to me, I feel like Zach Wilson's time in New York is for sure done. I don't know that this man's good enough to go be a backup quarterback somewhere. He's not comfortable in the league. The game moves way, way too fast for him, and he hasn't done anything to show improvement. I don't – at this point – Maybe you go work with a quarterback coach in the offseason and see what you can do and hopefully land a backup spot and try to work your way up from there. But Zach Wilson's time in New York, I feel like, has to be done. For me, thank goodness Mike White's back, but my eyes were on the Jags because Trevor Lawrence looked phenomenal this game. Polar opposite of what I just said about Zach Wilson. Like His timing was great. He used his legs, and he was smart. He was decisive. In fact, it was crazy to me. I told you I had to – I was having issues like with between power and going to get food, so I missed some of the game actually sitting down and watching it, and I was catching some on my phone, and I noticed a couple of the the plays that I saw I thought were just design throws – I went back and watched film and realized that they were reads and they were executed so well. I literally thought that it was a design throw for Lawrence and he's just executing at the highest level. I mean, this kid has taken a massive turnaround in one season. I'm excited to watch Trevor Lawrence. And for me, I just kind of feel like done talking about Zach Wilson. Let's talk about how great Trevor Lawrence looked. Yeah, I agree. Look, Zach Wilson is going to be off our radar now for the foreseeable future. I think he's actually officially going back to not dressing for game day so he can get back to the Darth Vader look that he was kind of going with or the Emperor Palpatine hood on where he just looks depressed on the sideline. Uh, It is going to be Mike White as the starter and Joe Flacco as the backup. So Zach Wilson done for this season, um, done in New York, I think permanently. We had this report from Fox as well that said as much that the Jets are expected to move on from Zach Wilson. Anyone with eyes and sort of any level of interpretation of what's going on in New York could have guessed that much, uh, but we'll see where he ends up. I'm not, I'm not sure what he's going to fetch in a trade. Like, is he going to, someone going to send like a fifth rounder for him? Fourth rounder? Like, what is he going to get? Cause he's not, getting, he's, I don't know. He's not getting no first rounder that the Jets spent on him a year and a half ago. Like that's how yeah. quickly this has gone downhill. Um, yeah. I don't know what team is going to be desperate enough to give up sort of a fourth or fifth for him. We'll have to see. Maybe he kept in contact with some of those moms he was hooking up with. Maybe they have like kids that he could be a peewee coach for. I don't know. Possibilities. I don't don't know if I even want him doing that. Like, do I want him coaching my kid like that? That seems even more. You're developing terrible habits at age like seven. Bad habits. I'm good good on that. So I'm not sure. Yeah. The Jags though, you're totally right. This is about, this is about them, their ascension and Trevor Lawrence. Um, Mm. Stop talking about bad quarterbacks. Talk about the good ones. Trevor Lawrence and this Jaguars team, they're going to be a problem like next year. 
They're going to be a problem next year, the year after, the year after that. They have the core in place. The NFL is about two major things if you can get them right on your team. Quarterback and head coach. You can figure out the rest as you go. Those are the two things that you need to have right on your team. They have them right. They have Trevor Lawrence. They have Doug Peterson. Trevor is looking like he's ascending into that upper echelon tier of quarterbacks. I would not be surprised if we're talking about him in the same breath as Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert next season. He's kind of starting to creep in there now. And I Mm -hmm. think this would be a perfect storm for the Jags just to get their feet wet in the playoffs this year. I hope they can finish it out. Like I said, they're actually favored to now because they have to face the Titans um, in week 18. So actually very unique situation there. The fact that this week doesn't matter for either the Jaguars or the Titans. I don't know if you realize that literally doesn't matter either way. Those two teams are playing for the AFC South title in week 18, regardless of what happens. I didn't even feel that. And the Titans just lost too. Yeah. So technically, technically on all technicality, you could rest your starters this week and then just go into the week after that. And then you have to actually try. So it's a very interesting situation. Uh, not one you see often in the NFL, but yeah, I think getting their feet wet in the playoffs would be huge for them. Even if they get, even if they get rocked in the first round, get Trevor Lawrence and that young team, some playoff experience. And then next year, when you're ready to actually go make some noise, at least you won't be starstruck by the entire right. thing. You know, I think, I think that's really big for a young up and coming team, but the Jaguars, they're going to be Super Bowl contenders in the next couple of years, like if they keep doing things right. And I'm very excited for them. I think they're such an easy team to root for. They really are. They're just they are. they're the ones of the AFC. Like teams that are historically bad, but not bad because of ownership that you hate. Like I feel like it's harder to root for the Browns or like the Commanders, who I mean they actually have a good record, but ownership that you know is kind of shitty. When the ownership's okay and it's just teams that have been down on their luck, you root for them, and the Jags fit that fit that mold. So well, I'm excited. You have to be excited about the growth of Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he was in a terrible situation. We just talked a yeah. ton of trash on Urban Meyer earlier. That was awful. Now he has a coach who is catering the offense around him, trying to build him up, which is the way it should be. When you welcome into welcome a rookie quarterback into your locker room, what it should be is the entire organization goes to them. They build around them, just like mm-hmm. what we saw Philly do with Jalen Hurts. They literally brought in childhood mentors for Jalen Hurts to make him feel comfortable, and then they built up from there. That's what I feel like we're doing with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. They are truly just doing everything everything they can to build him up, support him. They built back up his confidence, and now we're seeing the benefit to that. And this is just in one season that we saw this happen. Imagine what we're going to see next season. And I think one of the most exciting things for me is watching his leadership, how much those guys respect him, how much they listen to him, because that's the huge, that's a huge difference. That's what Jalen Hurts does for the Eagles, right? He gets out there and everybody respects him down to even if it's just a nod or a look. And that's what you want your team to fall under. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence is a winner. He's going to continue to win at the Mm -hmm. NFL level. He's just finally starting to do it now. And we've talked about this before too, like, Context for these quarterbacks is so important. He was in the worst situation imaginable last year in his rookie, like literally the worst. He had the worst NFL head coach of all time, either him or Hackett. Again, we could have this debate forever if we want, Uh, but it's one of those two. So you you can't really fault the guy for what happened last year. Look, last year he had Urban Meyer on the sideline and his top weapons that he was throwing to, whether designed or just by necessity, were – Special teamer Jamal Agnew and Dan Arnold, the tight end. I remember this vividly. This year, you've got him throwing to free agent acquisitions like Christian Kirk, Evan Engram, who are both playing great. Um, 
ETN's yeah, here playing great. ETN, they brought in, you know, familiar with the with him from college. Uh, well, they brought him in last year, but now yeah, can actually play, and play. we're seeing the benefits of that. So yeah, I, it's just it's all looking up for Trevor Lawrence. I'm excited for him, and I think uh, if there was like one player I had to invest in, one quarterback at the very least, like it's him. I think there's still room to get in now before people start talking about him in that top three, top four conversation. But like he is knocking on that door and. Again, I just really hope the Jaguars make the playoffs because I think Love it'll that. be a lot more fun. It'll be a lot more fun if they do, if we can get a first round, I don't know, Bills, Jags or Chiefs, Jags matchup. I think that would be a blast. So, Or a dynasty right. team. Would you pick up Trevor Lawrence if you could? Oh, yeah, of course. Dynasty fans. Go, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Trevor Lawrence would be – Trevor Lawrence should probably be a top five quarterback off the board in dynasty, I would think. Mm. Um, you've got, I mean, granted a lot of the top quarterbacks are still young. So, you know, it's not like you're going to knock Mahomes or Allen down a peg because they're a little older than Lawrence, but yeah, I think Lawrence with the situation, everything's trending up for him right now. And I think that's, that's the time you want to get in. So definitely Trevor Lawrence dynasty fantasy football by, I can't even, I don't even know if it's by low by now candidate. We'll call it that. Uh, as we do with every show, we end it with some viewer questions. We got some good ones this week. First, we had biggest bust of the season, excluding Kyle. This question coming from Amir Schiffer. So Amir, with the genius foresight to know that my answer would have been Kyle Pitts. Uh, and again, Kyle Pitts, hope he gets better. Injury sucks. But the bust status from a production and fantasy standpoint was undeniably there before the injury. Yeah, that would have been my answer. But Maddie, I'll let you start this one while I kind of formulate what my answer is. I'm not sure who I'm going to go with. It's Kyle Pitts still, so I got to figure out my backup option. So I have a twofer. I'm going with the Wilsons. That is Russell Wilson and Zach Wilson, both quarterbacks. Um, they both pooped their panties this year, pooped the bed. They were busts across the board. I, I guess Russell Wilson is probably more than Zach Wilson just because we nobody, I think, was super high on Zach Wilson coming into the season. But if you took a chance on him, you're beating your head against the wall. And Russell Wilson, you're just crying. I mean, it's just, it's awful. So I have to go with both of the Wilson quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, there's a few guys, you know, I'm trying to find a medium here between a real life bust and a fantasy bust, because if we're going strictly like fantasy football, there's like Allen Robinson, who I had high hopes for a bounce back with the Rams before Stafford got hurt and Cup got hurt and all that. And that did not materialize. Najee Harris has been just the definition of mid all year, like not returning the value of a first round pick. If we're going to go a bust overall, I'm going to go with a guy who has been sparingly relevant in fantasy football. Like you may have picked him up for a couple weeks here and there over the past few years, probably not this year, but similar sort of result as what Russell Wilson suffered. Matt Ryan. I'm going to go with Matt Ryan. This is a guy that we came into the year. I think a lot of people had the Colts as the favorites in the AFC South. And it was because Matt Ryan was supposed to get them over that hump. He was going to play mistake-free football and that that was what was costing them when they had Carson Wentz under center. That is not what they got. So they got just an older version of Russell Wilson. And now they're going to find themselves looking for a quarterback for the 50th straight off season. So I'm going to go with Matt Ryan as my biggest bust of the season. But again, all of our answers are players that have tanked teams that we had otherwise pretty high expectations for. Zach Wilson's has actually succeeded in spite of him, but that's because they had another guy on the roster that could, you know, kind of stop the bleeding a little bit. Um, yes. Our next question, there was a rumor about Sean Payton and Vic Fangio coming back to coach together. Which team do you think this happens with? So we talked earlier about how it's not going to be the Broncos unless they can just throw all the money at this man to just come in and and do what he can with this 
horrible, horrible situation. Uh, Maddie, I think there's one clear favorite here for where he's going to end up. I think you came up with it. So you want to reveal this very obvious answer, in my opinion. I think everybody's expecting him to end up with the Chargers. I know this Hackett news made some people say, oh, he's going to end up with the Broncos. I don't think that way. I truly think that the rumor going around is that he wants Vic Fangio to come in and be a defensive coordinator. And we all know that history with Broncos that I just feel like that's out, but the chargers are the perfect opportunity to have Sean Payton come in. I, for me, the, one of the biggest turnarounds is he in 2009, I don't know if you remember this, but he basically resurrected that offense because the offense wasn't bad the two seasons before, but they just weren't, executing well and they needed to get a little bit creative on offense and he stepped in and just completely changed it reinvented everything with the run game and I think that that's what the Chargers need right now they have the talent right the line mm-hmm. is suffering right now just because of Slater's injury mm-hmm. they need to do something different on the right side of the line if he can handle that the offensive line's good and then you have Justin Herbert to work with Justin Herbert has single-handedly kept this offensive line offense alive with no help from Brandon Staley and though Brandon Staley hasn't been fired yet I just kind of feel like it's inevitable at this point because you're supposed to be the defensive guru and your defense can't get it together and your offense is now suffering so Justin Herbert deserves an offensive minded coach I hope they bring it in I just feel like this is such a good fit the other side of things is whoever does get Sean Payton is going to have to give up some sort of draft pick or something and the chargers have all seven of their draft picks and so i just kind of feel like they're in the best position not to mention if you look at the afc west really the only competitors are the chiefs because you have like the broncos going to come after him no and the raiders absolutely not so unless things dramatically improve in the offseason the chargers have hung in there with the chiefs every single game every time they face them justin herbert comes in plays lights out so i just feel like this is such a good fit such a good fit. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're my answer as well. I'll toss out a couple of maybe other options in a minute here, but um, the rumors that have come out for Sean Payton's conditions to return to coaching have been ideally he wants to stay in LA check. Uh, he wants a good young stud quarterback check. check. <laughs> um, there's really no other situation, obviously the LA part, but there's no other coaching job that's going to come open that has a quarterback with as high of upside as Justin Herbert does. Like that is, you cannot ask for a better situation to come into as a head coach where you have just a guy who could be as good of a quarterback in the league as anybody um, just sitting there, you know, waiting. So I think LA makes a ton of sense. And like you said, the draft pick thing. So the saints actually kind of screwed themselves out of um, what would have been a high pick this year because, you know, they, their season did not go according to plan. And during last year's draft, they made a trade. I can't even remember what it was, but it was with the Eagles. Long story short, the Eagles ended up with the Saints first round pick this year and the Saints have the Eagles pick. So the Saints are not going to be as high up in the draft as their record indicates. How do you compensate for that? You go ahead, you go ahead and get another first round pick. And I do think Sean Payton is going to cost a first round pick. So the Saints can go get that first rounder from the Chargers, add on another one and, you know, kind of do their little rebuild situation here. Um, cause it, it looks necessary based on where we're at. Unless Sean Payton goes to the saints, which is what I was going to say. The other options here, you know, you go back to where is familiar. Sean Payton could return to the saints themselves. Um, or this is a long shot one, but it's the only other one based on quarterback and coaching situations that makes any shred of sense is the Arizona Cardinals. If the Chargers' job comes open, he's going to pick the Chargers, obviously. Mm-hmm. If for whatever reason it didn't, 
the Cardinals I just see as a long shot opportunity because I mean, it's not that far from LA. You get to still stay where it's warm. Um, and you have Kyler Murray, like Kyler Murray, say what you want about the guy is still one of the more high upside quarterbacks. You could go into a situation coaching. Like he's not going to take a job. If he really is serious about this quarterback thing, not going to take a job at the Panthers. He's not going to take a job at the Colts. He's not going to take a job with the Broncos, obviously. So that's just the only other one. But yeah, I think Chargers, assuming they do move on from Brandon Staley, are just the most obvious fit of all time. So I get nervous about Arizona. That's being tossed around a lot. I don't feel like that would be a good fit with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's got some he's got some attitude. And I just kind of feel like that yeah. would be oil and vinegar. Is that how you say it? Things that don't met don't mix. Yeah, oil I, th- and vinegar? I think so. I, I think so. Yeah, they don't mix. When you put them together to mix them, yeah. to have it all bread, it just kind of Obvi- sit in their pools. Obviously, I cook as well as rest because I had no idea. But yeah. Right, yeah. I actually, I think Mile High Stadium's on fire. I can smell it from here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, look, it'd be an interesting dynamic, right? Sean Payton and, and Kyler. I feel, like, I feel like Cliff, and look, this is a complete interpretation from the outside. It could be completely wrong. But it seems like Cliff is a guy that could get pushed around by Kyler, or at least oh, tolerate yeah, too much. Sean Payton would be like... Sean Payton would be like, shut up. I'm going to put in Trace McSorley. Stop talking. You are three feet tall. Like, he would not take his shit. He just wouldn't. And I think that'd be awesome. But, again, I don't know. It's the Chargers. It's the Chargers are bust, right? And maybe, 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 maybe the Rams, if, he's, if he prioritizes the L.A. thing and that job comes open and McVay retires. But really the only options here. I really hope our producer cuts it to where it just ends after you're three feet tall. <laughs> the show ends. I'm fine with that. Honestly, we can cut the podcast short if we want to. But look, we'll do an outro for the sake of doing an outro, just in case we do keep it. Maddie, any other thoughts as we head into Monday night, Tuesday morning, which is when the pod comes out, and next week's action in the NFL? No, I'm excited to see what drama football brings the next couple of weeks because it should be pretty interesting. Yeah, and we've got – so we'll have our Thursday night show as we always do. And this week it is Cowboys-Titans. Again, technically this game doesn't matter for the Titans. Maybe they rest their starters. I don't know. be really weird to rest your starters week 17 and then not week 18, but the situation doesn't generally happen. So They've done it before, though. What year was it that they set Derrick Henry out? Gosh, I have no clue. Is it two seasons? I, you. I don't I know. Believe but they've done I it before. Believe. The Titans have done yeah. it before, so it'll be interesting. We'll see. Look, maybe – Maybe we'll get a little uh, – oh, God, who's their backup running back? Titans backup running back? I don't know. Maybe we'll see some action from him, whoever it is, if the Titans do bench their starters. But otherwise, I just want some Chig Oconquo. Is that, all, is that so much to ask for? I just want to see my boy Chig out there against the Cowboys. Go, go for a couple touchdowns, and then the Cowboys can beat you 50-12 to 12 or whatever it is. But all right, we'll see you guys Thursday for that hopefully riveting game. And, yeah, thanks for tuning in. For Maddie Kroll, I'm Brandon Carney, and we will talk to you guys next time. Let's ride.